Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now. Here's Pastor Raphael. Hello, I'm Raphael Martinez, a minister within the Church of God Cleveland Movement and a director of Spirit Watch Ministries, an outreach providing biblical discernment in a time of deception. Our podcast is called Where Are We Going? and seeks to supply answers to a great question that a lot of people are asking these days about the direction our world is presently taking. Our days are increasingly shadowed by anxiety, violence, deception, and oppression at so many levels. And it's so difficult to really understand where our world is heading. So from one small portion of that, uh, the podcast, Where Are We Going?, is something that we're providing that will do all it can to shine light and hope where we possibly can in the area of spiritual discernment. These podcasts will give you a solidly biblical perspective on our deceptive times of trouble. Uh, We've been covering cultism, deception, and spiritual abuse issues since we've launched a little over a year ago, and an upcoming podcast will touch on the other deeper issues driving these sadly all-too-visible signs of even deeper trouble in human society. So we really hope you'll keep joining us for those as well. It's easy to find our podcast on the internet at our spiritwatch.org ministry website or on Facebook using the search term Spirit Watch Ministries. Links to them will be on our homepage and our Facebook page, as well as our blog, uh, the Spirit Watch Unchained blogspot link. Uh, we'll put, post them all there for easy access with a couple of mouse clicks. So, so just bookmark us. Share the links with friends, family, your tax collectors, uh, uh, your teachers, your mechanics. Uh, help us build our audience if we can. Uh, we're now currently being pressured. Uh, we're currently being uh, uh, carried by both Amazon and, and and Spotify as well. So we are so grateful to have uh, folks coming from there, and we thank you for visiting us today. We hope that uh, you'll find something worthy to listening and to uh, bookmark us and come back again. Today we're pressing on with our Ministry of Discernment that focuses on the Xenos Dwell movement based in Columbus, Ohio. As you've certainly gathered by now, uh, we consider Xenos to be an abusive house church movement started by two college students named Dennis McCallum and Gary DeLashford way back in 1970. Uh, its growth over the years came as it targeted Ohio State University college students and other college students in the area very quietly for decades. Uh, during those years, thousands of people have been exposed in exclusively private church social settings to influences that I think can be best described as toxic and damaging cultism, easily as bad as anything I've seen in any other cult that uh, we've examined, uh, including Remnant Fellowship and et al., so to speak. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, it's a horror that's been overlooked and ignored by the media the church and the world at large for over 50 years. But in the last few years, thanks to the courage of many former members who are speaking out, a day of reckoning is now becoming a daily occurrence 
Brazinos. Uh, there's a collective of voices being raised up in the public squares of the internet and beyond, and we're just glad to have a small part in helping some of those voices be heard. Now, our work on a yet-to-be-released documentary on Xenos last December uh, 2021 helped open a floodgate of volunteers who wanted to tell their stories to us. And that especially took place after the NBC investigative journalism came out uh, uh, back in uh, in March. So our guest today is one of those, and she also happened to be, if I may say so, one of the leading agitators of that collective named Katie Renneker. Katie, welcome to our podcast. Thanks, Raphael. Thanks for having me. It's it's great to have you here. I, uh, I really appreciate uh, what you've been sharing with us and our conversations and uh, you just helped me, you know, uh, again, it's just, it's just always good to talk to people to understand where you're at and understand that, uh, what your, what your, uh, objectives and passions really are regarding something like this, you know, um, you started just a few months ago, a wonderful website. I'd like you to tell us about a little more. Uh, and it's, it's a website that gives us information about your journey in and out of Xenos Dwell and, and so much more. So uh, tell us a little bit about that uh, and what's your response been like? Yeah, so um, I started a website. The, the, um, the website is called dwellchurchcolumbusisacult.com. Um, and, you know, I really started that after the, you know, following the NBC for um, investigative reports that came out and then also seeing some of the interviews that, that you did, Raphael, with, with Megan Cox, where you, you interviewed, um, you know, two of the leaders in Dwell Community Church, Conrad Hilario and Kate Mizell. Um, you know, I have personal experience um, dating back, uh, you know, some 20 years with the church um, mm-hmm. and it it, it deeply impacted my life. Um, and so when I saw this stuff coming back into the news, I it gave me an opportunity, I think, to reevaluate and relook um, at what had actually happened to me. And, you know, it started to become clear as I, as I looked into it that, you know, what I maybe always believed this idea that what had happened to me within Xenos Well was relatively unique. Um, but what I found from, from, you know, looking into the investigative journalist reports also on, on Mark Kennedy's website, xenosisacult.com. Right. Just, just reading some of those stories. Um, it became, I think, so, uh, so clear to me that, you know, this wasn't a unique experience I had because I had been, you know, very invested in church and, and fairly senior in, in the organization as a young person. Um, that this had actually happened to, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of individuals, you know, over the past several decades um, who have interacted with this group. Um, and that really made me sort of rethink, um, you know, my own experiences and then what I wanted to share about it. Um, it it's certainly something that, you know, my experience in the church has deeply impacted who I am as a person how I think, the things that I'm afraid of, how I form relationships, um, yeah. and see that sort of damage propagated across hundreds of other people um, who maybe don't have the resources to even understand what's happened to them. Um, you know, it made me really want to add my voice to the mix 
and use a, you know, use some of my skills in terms of understanding the church, um, you know, from an intellectual or an academic perspective, um, the type of analysis that goes into even understanding that group, right? Um, yeah. and hoping add a little bit of, of information. I think Mark's website is really good at xenosisacult.com in getting people's stories out there of the pain that people have suffered um, yeah. as a result of this organization. I wanted to add something maybe a little complimentary that had a little bit more analysis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you go, know. Go, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. Interrupt you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, you're fine. Um, I just wanted to add a little bit more sort of rigorous analysis of uh, things about how, how does, what are the structural issues in the church that have led to this sort of outcome? Sure. Why is it people in the church have such a hard time understanding and, and seeing some of this as abuse? Um, and then kind of just add some validation for, you know, individuals who are coming out on the other side of it. I've experienced it. It's incredibly lonely. It's isolating. Um, there's a huge loss of identity, sense of shame and embarrassment that really constitutes this type of religious abuse. And there aren't a lot of resources for people to deal with it. Um, and so often people feel, you know, that their experiences have been trivialized, demeaned, that what they experienced wasn't real or somehow their fault, which are, I think, hallmarks of abuse in general. But get even trickier and, and murkier when, you know, you look at a group that has operated relatively subtly um, in the way that Xenos well has. Right. And so I wanted to add a little bit of that in hopes yeah. of, of yeah. speaking out against the church and what I've experienced, but also providing, you know, some validation and, you know, even helping individuals who have been harmed by the group understand and process what's happened to them, right? right. You know, the other been there before them, what they experienced was real, right. and understand, you know, what the context is and how they fit into it. It's a great site. I mean, I haven't begun to even really dig in it the way I really, really want to. It, it, it's not something you just, you just, you can, you can walk in there and browse into it as, as it's, it's well written. It's well done. It's, um, it's really there to help. Like, as you said, do what you do, do what you're done. Uh, you've, you've sit and you've, you've really, you really have helped provide an additional level of context of interpretive context that I think will help anybody understand Xenos as well, along with just, you know, the, the, the wonderful analysis that Mark, you know, Mark at, at provides through the xenosisacult.com website. I mean, he's a guy I'm hoping to have on the podcast real soon as well. And, and his work on that side is easily to the leadership of Xenos, the same kind of labor that my own work through the rspairwatch.org site has been through the besieged leadership of the Remnant Fellowship cult. And it's great to have met him and, and have been the time together in that brief time uh, last December. And I'm, I'm hoping that, well, at some point, uh, we'll all find some quiet place in the German village <laughs> and call on us to unpack things at some point or, or somewhere uh, because there's just so much to, to, to share and, and, and really uh, um, uh connect with over uh, there's so much that, that i think that we are all on the same page about that it's 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 helpful i think sometimes just to really focus better but but um it's it's just like i said a, a great two great websites and and there's increasingly more and more voices coming out I, i've heard of a of a youtube channel coming up and that's which is going to be people who are going to be putting video testimonies uh, i don't know how far it's got along but i i, I do see it's it's gotten started so, uh, of course, Reddit 
and uh, Twitter are always out there. There's some great sources there. So, so yeah, there, this, this is a collective that is speaking uh, truth to power. And the powers that be at, at, at Xenos need need to understand it's not going away. Okay, they they can analyze it and and do papers on it and 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 curse curse the ground we walk on. Uh, but it doesn't matter. It's it's not going to change the, the plain truth of what's going on. So uh, now you did share with us that you were a member of Xenos from 1998 until 2006. You know and that you were being groomed for leadership there. So who were those key individuals who you were being discipled by, and how far on their mobile path were you aspiring to? Yeah. So I mean, you know, just broadly, I um, entered. I came into Xenos um, sort of in my middle school years. Um, I was brought by my best friend at the time from middle school and was part of a, a, you know, a small group of girls in a girl cell group um, that just really desired to to know God, answer questions about spirituality. Um, I, I did, in fact, have a um, a church background in history. My parents are religious, um, and I was raised in a Lutheran church, so you know, from by Xena standards, uh, certainly more conventional church upbringing, but I was very serious and, and had been exposed to God in that context as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was not, um, as you might say, unchurched when I came you into were, You weren't a pagan, so. <laughs> so. I, 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 you know, I have been called a pagan even within the church. Um, right, right. I, I think there is, some of that does speak, I think, to the, the elitism of mm-hmm. the order which is one of the things many of the critics have have pointed out about the group is that, you know, there really is a sense that, you know, for me growing up in in a regular sort of Sunday-oriented Lutheran church with a steeple was inferior to what Xenos had to offer. Right. Uh, And though there were strengths, I think, about the church that that drew me into Xenos of what I was Mm -hmm. looking for, particularly when it came to sort of an intellectual understanding and having my questions treated with seriousness um, about who God was, you know, what God wanted for our lives and, 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 you know, what sort of community we could be a part of. I, I think that was a really strong point in Zenos. And, and that's, that's the point at which I entered it. I was looking for something committed, mm-hmm. something serious, something more than just, you know, what I could get out of a, a Sunday school uh, as a middle schooler in in sort of a, an ordinary community church. Mm-hmm. I think that my parents' church offered me quite a lot, but, you know, Xenos came in and offered a much higher level of that, which is, uh, I think, one of the, the strengths of the church and, and also one of its downfalls. Um, and so I'm happy to go into details about, you know, my experience over time, but I, I think from a, a broad perspective, you know, the intensity within Xenos ramps from, say, middle school, where it's relatively benign, um, although there are, you know, certain elements of the culture that's, that start to get formed in terms of how you think and, and how you speak and how you act as a part of the ideology. But that really starts to ramp up in high school, as I think, you know, a lot of the, the guests you've had on the podcast have have expressed and then that the height of that I think is really reached in college which is you know as you mentioned in the introduction that's sort of the the bread and butter of what Xenos does is 
you know, trying to win and convert people in sort of those early, early college years when, when people are at their most vulnerable point. Right. So, so yeah, right. so. Yeah, you, you wrote an absolutely riveting document about your journey in and out of Xenos. And I think that it goes, it goes well over 10 pages of eight point fonted print that I read in one gulp when you sent me a link to it. And, uh, that really is, uh, that really is a, is an incredible document that's right there. I think up front on your homepage there to look at. And, um, I really believe, you know, that, like I said, uh, it, it is just so eloquently and so, so forcefully delivered such an incredible amount of, uh, of, of very focused insight upon your, your time getting in and out. And, and, and you hit those very, those very things. You, you spoke about that. And that there's just an un, you know, just an incredible amount of, uh, intrusion that the church, uh, takes when it, when it lures you in, doesn't it? I mean, it, it really just tries to, uh, in, in, to uh, insinuate itself into every part of your life in a way that's, 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 that's at times is, is, is welcoming, I think, as you mentioned, and, 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 and enriching, but then at the same time, it's also outrageous and, and unbelievable. I mean, yeah, and so I think, you know, <laughs> thanks for, uh, mentioning the paper I wrote. I mean, a, a lot of that is a labor of love of, of, you know, it's been 16 years, um, almost to the day since I left Xenos, which was, you know, a very difficult decision for me and is probably the, you know, formative experience of my life in terms of, of yeah. drama and, and who I am. Um, and I've spent a lot of the past, you know, two decades really thinking about what happened there, recovering from it, understanding how it impacts who I am as a person, and then tying that back to understanding the structural issues within the church itself. And, and so that paper, I, I really wrote that sort of at the, the outset of, of a rethinking of this, you know, when the interviews and different things came out earlier this year, um, and I think, you know, uh, I think what I wanted to get across in that is, yes, the the immense control of the organization, um, but also to get across some of the, the subtleties and nuances that um, lead people to be indoctrinated and, and act in a way that, you know, people within the church, for the most part, are acting with very good intentions, intentions to follow God, intentions to love people. And I think that that gets missed a lot. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, having to reconcile these very difficult things to say, yes, I believe that what happened to me and many others in the, in the church constitutes abuse. And yet at the same time, I can understand it and, and hold this idea that um, the ideology within the church does not recognize it as abuse. They do not think they did anything wrong. And so in that paper, I really wanted to express to, you know, people within the church and then also people who have been really wounded by, by the organization um, to, to sort of, you know, show how that even arises and where that comes from and give some, some validity to it. Right. 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 And that's, and that's, I think, where the, the, the lion's share of discussion we'd like to really take our podcast up to, uh, in the next few weeks to, to really address. I mean, we, we've, we've certainly held, and we certainly still want to hear from people that, that would like to share their stories because every story is important. 
every person's life deserves to be to be uh to be uh opened up if if they so if they so desire to share uh in such a way that that helps them process what they've been through i mean i i think that's why we we watch one reason why we do the podcast is not only not only just to you know provide uh a, a a source for that but for allowing people to just be able to tell their stories but at the same time uh there, there there's a method to our methodology you know we we definitely want to take our discussion and dialogue up to a newer level on that and, and i appreciate your saying that because the amount of intrusion as i said that that, that goes into uh your time in a group like xenos uh just becomes so innocuous it's so ordinary it just seems so 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 right. It feels so so proper for for people to to request things of that. And there is one thing I want, did want to ask in, in in regards to your involvement. Um, you know, this is I commented last week in our interview with Nina Lombardo that it seems that every single ex Xenos survivor has made it clear that 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 there's a database that the church leaders maintain on everyone. There's, there just seems to be an unreal amount. Of personal information that you're required to generate in your in your interaction with Xenos that gets recorded in some way, whether it's in a whether it's in a Google form or or just plain old good old fashioned crib notes, you know, you're required to to, to provide that as a part of process part of the process of discipling, and it's actually more of a model of indoctrination. So, and two of those documents are what are called the spiritual gifts assessment and the temperate the temperament inventory they seem to be two of the most long-reaching ones from what i've shared with other people about i've been told that your place in xenos is pretty much determined by those tests you're supposed to take and now you can easily be typecast if, if we use that word into a specific form of uh well career path in xenos by whatever results are from those inventories uh can you comment on that and then and, and have you found that to be to be your experience yeah, it, it's, I think it varies depending on probably the emotional <laughs> maturity of the individuals who are propagating and using those documents. And so I think across a, you know, say a 6,000 person church that has a very flat structure and a lot of leaders who are relatively immature in their faith or even just, you know, emotionally and socially in their lives, because they're relatively young, you have, you know, people just out of high school, leading in in areas that require incredible emotional depth and nuance. Um, so I think that probably the application of those varies dramatically. Um, I've seen some of those documents and, and have even perhaps used them when I, even in my time at Xenos, um, I was both discipled by, um, uh, supposedly more mature woman in the church. And I also, uh, discipled a, a woman who was younger than myself. And so, those are tools that the church propagates, and I think that they can be used in a really negative way. Mm -hmm. uh, in, but at the same time, I do think that um, <laughs> it, it certainly speaks to the the high level of control or interest in individuals. And I think you're right. There is certainly typecasting. I think that people might defend those documents and say, look, Xenos Dwell is a 
high commitment church and we care very much about your your spiritual walk with God. And it, it almost takes on sort of a corporate level that those documents look a lot like, you know, things I've seen in the corporate world where you're evaluating employees and their performance and right. their satisfaction, right? And so there is a level of that that then is brought into the spiritual dimension, which I think has, you know, is very open to potential abuse, especially um, in the hands of I- immature leadership. Um, but you know, fundamentally, I think it also speaks to that high level of invasive of the mm-hmm. group. I mean, you might call it high commitment, and maybe when worked out or practiced perfectly, um, maybe it is something laudable about a church. However, you know, when you're practicing that level of invasiveness, that level of control over individuals, that level of assessment um, and, and commentary and intrusion, there is a huge opportunity for you to cross over that line of what's appropriate, especially mm-hmm. when, you know, we're moving. This isn't a, This isn't a job you can quit, right? We've put this into a emotional and spiritual dimension that touches the deepest parts of who people are. Right. right? Yeah. This, this is your, this is your, your eternal destiny. Okay. <laughs> this isn't like moving from IBM to Whirlpool. I mean, it's this, this is for keep, this is for, for eternity. Right. And so I, I mean, I think again, there's, and you see a lot of this in the church. I, I think, you know, in terms of, of the problems you see, you know, Zenos likes to say that they're this New Testament biblical style church, but, you know, I kind of look around and say, I don't know, that looks a lot more like 20th century capitalism and a corporation to me, right? Right. right. This is, um, you know, there's very much an emphasis on sort of this high commitment, high intellectual, high rationalism type of church. And that, you know, when you take our American culture, and you put that into a realm of spirituality, you get long checklists and evaluations and ratings of how good or or poorly you're doing, and people discuss your performance and review it and want to know, you know, how many people you've converted to God this year. Um, That's part of what drives the culture of the organization um, and that keeps such such close... And so I really do, I think that that escalates again, you know, you go from something that, you know, in middle school may just be a benign, you know, you have fun with a a girls group on, on Friday nights and, you know, learn about God and the Bible and, you know, it's, it's relatively innocuous and, and maybe a lovely thing, but as you start to move into high school and then especially into college, people are being identified, whether through a form or not. There's a culture that identifies a certain type of person to get into leadership. And I can look across the eldership that exists in the church today, and I a lot of those people are people I knew or was raised alongside um, when I was in high school and in early college. Um, and they all have the same personality type. There's a black and white, type A, idealistic intellectually rational and driven personality type that drives towards the very top of this organization. Mm-hmm. And you see that almost everywhere that right. they, you know, the, I think, you know, one of the key problems in the church even is that it inherently lacks balance. Right. Uh, that when you get a lot of these certain people at the top, 
we're not necessarily following a Christly lifestyle. We're following a lifestyle that emulates those at the top and believing that that confusing that with what it is to follow God. Right. Shepherds who were supposed to be shepherds become CEOs, Mm -hmm. COOs. They became executive officers of a corporation. uh, And it's a model driven from corporate America. And that's exactly one of the things that, uh, when, when I was in Bible college that I, that, that made, that I, I just was found so deep, so, un, uh, so detestable when I look around in evangelicalism back in the 1980s. <laughs> and then that's, that's a long time ago, but still that whole model was becoming a part of the modern church growth movement in which, uh, you know, you have focus groups and you have uh retreats where where you do exercises and 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 blackboards where you park information i mean it's all this 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 brainstorming uh concept in which a vision is imposed upon a bunch of people uh and and, and as a part of a body politic you're that's the way it is okay you 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 literally play follow the leader and 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 that's sadly, uh, what I, what I've, what I've seen in, in the monitors. And that's, and that's not even including the cultic dynamic yet. Okay. That's just the way people appear to be led these days. And that's why I, I the name of our podcast is Where Are We Going? Because I asked that question very deliberately. It says, where in the world is the, are we going in this, in this crazy world? And, and Xenos is just one example of that. It, it really is. Um, so as you got deeper into Xenos, more committed, more involved, you ultimately found that belonging in such a place is an exercise of what I call carrot sticking. You know, <laughs> carrot sticking is a rather cruel process in which you induce a beast of burden to keep pulling a load or bearing a rider by just holding over its head out of reach a piece of food that it pushes ahead to try to eat. So there's always a bit of that tempting carrot and a whole lot more stick in cults for those recruits and they hold something out in front of you to chase after that beckons you. Uh, what were some of those moments that for you kept you moving on, even though maybe you had questions, maybe your experience wasn't lining up with what the ideals you're being told to live by weren't quite there, but, but what were some of those moments in, in, as you, as you got more and more involved or being groomed for leadership, what were some of those moments like for you? Yeah. I mean, I- I think you're right. And, you know, even taking, you know, the, the carrot and the stick example of how you drive people forward. Um, you know, when you, when you move that up into a spiritual dimension, it gets very complex, right? Yeah, so, sure does. Mm-hmm. And I think in high school is where I really started to become indoctrinated in, in the ideology and the system of the church. And of course I was young and impressionable and I, I mistook that for real Christianity or real religion or real faith or real God, right? Um, so for me, always, and I, and I don't think, I think it depends on the individual, but for me, I was running towards God. God was the carrot, right? Venus yeah. <laughs> provided the mold that I was supposed to, to run within, right? Right. They provided the metric system. So I wanted to be close to God, which was the fundamental desire. And I think you, I think you can see this in the overarching pattern of what I would call, you know, the real structural problem and the abuse that exists within the church is that people 
start because they want community, they want meaning, they want purpose, they want God, which are all these things that, that exist in the spiritual dimension. And, you know, Zeno says, yes, we can give you those things. And then they set out a, a system of an obstacle course of, of hoops to jump through and, and very black and white systems of accomplishment and success. And right. they say, do these things. If you look this way, if you achieve these things, that means that, that you'll be closer to God or you've done what God wanted or you're more spiritual or you're a good person or, you know, you really matter in this world. I mean, and even some of that falls into this distinction between high commitment church and low commitment, you know, Sunday Lutheran church, right? Where right. You know, Zena says those Sunday Lutherans, they're not as close to God. Being right. close to God implies this being a good worker bee and increasing your knowledge of the Bible, um, being able to teach others, being able to convert people, maintaining high standards of, of moral and in particular sexual purity. Um, you know, there are all of these, these components that become you know, the fundamental desire is maybe to have community, meaning, love, purpose, and to know God, right? But then the structure they set up is where where that's problematic. And so right. in order to feel like you're doing those things, you need to meet all of these exhaustive standards um, that come along with the church. And, you know, so I, I've talked a little bit about it, but there's there's literally no limit to what you can be asked to give up or to submit or to do um, for the well, church. Would part, part of that course obviously be part of the coursework you're required to do to become a leader? Yeah, everybody's so supposed to, everybody's supposed to be a leader. We're supposed to be driven to be, you're supposed to be driven to be these, these, these cutting edge elite, of uh, vanguards of, of spiritual truth. So therefore to get that way in Xenos, you have to take all these leadership classes. Isn't that a carrot and stick kind of moment? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Look, like, I think, um, you know, whether it's the corporate world or whether it's CNOS, um, you know, uh, there are bad corporations who don't know how to motivate their people and don't run well as organizations and have terrible cultures. And, you know, Xenos is a weird church that so looks like a corporation and they're also would be bad if they were a corporation. They have a terrible culture. Um, and part of that is this black and white ideology, black right. and white. Being a Christian, you know, we can tell if you're obviously good or obviously bad, right? Did you take the leadership classes? Mm -hmm. Did you do all of them? Did you do them quickly? Did you take them when you were in high school, even though they're really set up to be sort of a college level type, you know, institution? It's like they've created their own, you know, academy or mini university within the church, which, you know, isn't inherently wrong in and of itself. Right. Um, Perhaps alarming from from the indoctrination level and not getting external information, but you know all of that is is set up to say you know here are some easy things. It's black and white. You you took the courses or you didn't, right? You filled out the form and you checked the boxes or you didn't. You give money to the church or you didn't. Um, you know, there's some driving towards I think that black and white nature that is a part of the culture of the church, right? So yeah. they might. 
preach and want to be nuanced of what that looks like, but they failed ultimately as a culture. And the culture is very much right and wrong, black and white. This is what you're supposed to do. And there's a culture that's set up like not just a carrot and a stick, but of course it feels great to take all the classes and pass them and then you're more spiritual, right? But there's also this, you know, a race to the end and who can get there get there the quickest um you're expected even at a high school level it's you know not uncommon for you know sophomores in high school to be taking these internal college level-ish bible classes that the church is offering um and there's a pressure an internal pressure um that doesn't even need to be said out loud that there's a pressure of punishment and reward that encourages people to do that thing right if you take the classes as a sophomore your spiritual leaders and the adults in the group will applaud you for being, you know, incredible and mature and, and following God. The, mm-hmm. the high commitment model says the higher, the more committed you are, the better you are, right. the more closer you are to God. And so, you know, that's why you see a lot of the people who, who tell these stories, um, you know, where they've come into conflict with the system and they've been abused. A lot of it is because they, they fundamentally have a conflict with this this high commitment model that really is an infinite ask. There is no end to it. You can always do it faster, better, more. Um, there's really no limitation. There's there's no stopping point, right? And yeah. so people come into conflict with that. And depending on your capacities as an individual, your abilities, your past traumas, your aptitude, um, you know, and then even how you just want to live your life. Um, exactly. Down, down to what you down to what work you do and everything, right? Right, exactly. And so if you fail at any level of expectation along that system and are viewed as not doing enough or what you should be doing or what your your peers or your mentors or the church leadership thinks you're doing, um, you know, it's it's painted as you know, an embarrassing failure before God. It's a failure of your heart to be directed towards the right things. And so that's when you get into that structure of spiritual abuse, right? Yeah. You have people come to the church and say, I love God and I want to follow God. And you say, okay, well, here's an entire obstacle course to run. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. Expect- yeah. And then when you fail that obstacle course or you step to the side and say, I'm tired and I don't feel like doing this anymore, I don't have time or I have other priorities that are important, the church will turn around and say, you weren't committed enough to God. Your heart is wrong. Um, this, This is a spiritual failure. Right. And the shame and embarrassment and complication that that comes along with all of that, that's what leads to these hundreds of stories of abuse that you hear. Um, all centered around that not structural model as being problematic. And there's potentially nothing wrong with a, a high commitment religious tradition or faith in and of itself. It could be practiced quite beautifully. Unfortunately, the high commitment models have a tendency to cross the line into really unhealthy territory and the church is in the senior leadership is most definitely morally responsible for making sure that doesn't happen. And unfortunately, right. five decades in this church, right. there has been a lot of crossing over that line. Right. And you see in these countless stories that are heartbreaking. 
Right. Um, and and that's, that's, that's what, you know, the gripping part of it is, you know, I, I'm not here just to be, uh, uh we, we're not involved in this just because we want to be some, some sort of voyeurs or some sort of telling some, some, some juicy bits of gossip. Uh, we're here to document actual abuse. We're here to see, to, to actually declare what we see going on. And that's why we were involved in this document to begin with. You know, it saddens me, you know, to hear, you know, over and over, as you've mentioned, so many finding that their personal guilt and shame at being unable to measure up to that unbelievably unreasonable abusive perfectionism that Zena sets before them. And all of its busy work, all of its socializing, all of its demands to be at this being, this being, this being, they're often the first signs of trouble in their minds and hearts within themselves. They, they, they believe, well, there must be really be something wrong with me if I can't go to five, you know, four meetings a week and spend my money the right way they want me to and not go here and not go there. Uh, was that what led you to start questioning your involvement? Or what were some of the things that really began um, bringing that to focus in you personally as you began to, to, to start looking ahead and, and, and considering uh, reassessing your involvement? Yeah, so, you know, for me, that's, that's you know, really where the rubber hits the road. Um, you know, when I... In high school, I, I was very involved, did a lot, was clearly identified as, as someone in the, the church organization who had a lot of potential for future leadership. Um, and so I was given opportunities to, to teach sort of the large group meetings. I was given, you know, leadership responsibilities. Um, there was a lot of, of praise and even commendation. And so, you know, in high school, a lot of my experience was it was committed, uh, it was indoctrination, it was forming my identity and shaping who I was as a person. Uh, but for the most part, it was in a positive direction. I was encouraged in a specific direction, not necessarily the direction itself was positive. I think it warped in a lot of ways my view of the world um, outside of the church. Right. But I was still being encouraged, right? Um, people said, you're doing a good job. You're, you're getting closer to God. You, I, you know, in my little small group of, of best friends who were also in the church, I mean, we had started a little Bible study that had 30, 40 members that, that was coming out in our early years in high school. So we were really praised and recognized within the church for running the course well. You know, we were, we were the elite group who was actually capable of performing according to whatever obstacle course the church had, had set forth yeah. as spirituality. And in and that you found that I, a personal affirmation that certainly is, you know, a positive thing. It's building you up, but, but, it, but it definitely was, was, was going south. Right. I think it, it builds you up. It was building me up deeper into the system. Mm-hmm. So they were positively encouraging me to go deeper and deeper into the system. And so, you know, not that they were positively encouraging me to, to, you know, be a young adult or explore my options for life or, or understand the world in a wider context. I was being trained like a, <laughs> almost like a dog in the Westminster dog show, right? right. To, I was given treats, but where, where am I going? This isn't a real life. This is, you know, being trained on some arbitrary course. That it's a program. Sense. Yeah. Right. And so right. I, I still had, you know, in high school, I I had 
my family was, is not in Xenos and never has been in Xenos. And, you know, I obviously, a lot of my time was spent in school or sports or with other people and I sit at home with my parents. And so there was still some, as much as I was dedicated, there was maybe even still some healthy balance of separation from the church in other areas of my life, even though I was incredibly devoted, there was still space for me to be a person, um, you know, a little bit outside of that organization. But when you transition into college, that's when it all falls apart. Um, it's, and I think it's where the worst abuse happens within the church. Um, so first, you know, I think it's really important, and this has brought, been brought up by a number of people to say that, you know, I'm very um, academically capable and gifted. Um, and so, you know, I had a, perhaps a lot of opportunity to go to any college that I wanted to, um, to study whatever I wanted to study. Um, but I was led to believe, um, you know, through growing up now in the church that to go anywhere other than Columbus for school would be deeply sinful and a deep rebellion against God. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, you know, you start to see, I, I certainly didn't question it. I believed it. I believe that was right. And I willingly chose to go to Ohio State and to pursue a degree in engineering. But I, ch- I made that decision because I was led by this group to believe that if I had made any other choice, it would be an issue of the rightness of my heart before God. Um, and I think, you know, that gives you a flavor of how intrusive the church is on, on just even very basic non-moral issues. Um, and, and this happened to, to many people. I mean, all of my friends ended up at Ohio State as well, um, primarily because that's what the church told them was expected of them. And I did it willingly. No one forced me to, but I was trained to run a specific race and to jump through specific hoops, and I jumped through them. Right. And one of those hoops was to go to Ohio State. Right. They framed the question in such a way is that, of course, you had freedom of will. <laughs> but but there's only one way to answer the question correctly, and that's end up staying in Ohio State, right? Exactly right. Yeah. And so you know that sort of paints the picture as you move into the the college group of there are so many questions that only have one right answer in the right. church, right? And so again, you there was there's pressure um, coming in freshman year. According to Ohio State's rules, I was required to live in the dorms my freshman year. Um, but if you got a note and my, you know, I was from the area and, and I had family, if you had a note that said you were living at home, say you could get out of the, the dorm requirement at OSU. And so I actually did that. And the reason I did that was because one of the right answers that the church presented was that I should move into a house, um, which you guys have talked a lot about, but it's a, it's a house of, um, you know, it's a single gendered house of a group of people who live together who are a part of a specific home church or small group. Um, so usually you have a women's ministry house and then you have a men's ministry house. And those are the most elite members usually of your home church, the most committed ones, right? The ones who have agreed to um, even live uh, with other people in the church, basically expose themselves to the church 100% of the time. Um, and so it was understood that, again, the right spiritual decision to make was to, to live in a ministry house. 
not to live at home with your parents, not to live in the dorms where, you know, there's too much exposure to, to sex and beer and partying and college or whatever these things are. Um, you know, there was a deep, deep fear of that. And so there was a huge pressure to, to live in the ministry house, which is what I did. And I've heard of other people who have made different decisions to live in the dorms who were shamed for their decision or, or viewed as less spiritual or that they had made a mistake or, you know, maybe their parents wanted them to live in the dorms, but they really should have stood up to their parents and told them, no, it's important for my spirituality to live in the ministry house, right? So again, you have this, this, the pressure to conform in a certain way. And as you move into the college group, that what that conforming looks like gets more and more intense is I'm no longer at home with my parents. I'm no longer playing sports or, or going to, you know, getting out of the house, being involved with different groups of people. My life has become almost 100% Xenos 12, which is what they want. And it's what they praise as, true spirituality before God. That is definition of the high commitment. And I did it willingly. I mean, to what, what level you want to ascribe my will at that point in my life, since I was so heavily influenced by the stick, which was the obstacle course, which Mm -hmm. told me what I was supposed to do. And the carrot was my love of God himself. And so you're confusing these you know, very serious parts of, of individual sense of self, identity, value, meaning, purpose. You're confusing them all together and saying you are less before God if you don't make the right choice that we view to be spiritual. Right. And, and, and that's exactly, again, uh, what, we're, what we're talking about when it comes to viewing Xenos as an, an abusive cultic movement. I mean, I know, you know, there's, there's all kinds of controversy when you bring up the word, but to me, in, in, in my time of, of working in this, what you're describing is a classical component of, of what, of what is, what is called as, of what I understand cultic mind control to be from the perspective of, of Dr. Robert Lifton. Who's done his, who's done his classical work on thought reform and, and totalism. That's the name, name of his book, actually. Thought reform and the psychology of totalism, in which he set forth eight criterion of what he called, uh, thought reform environments. And one of these is, is a concept called doctrine of a person. What you've just described is, is just that. When you make the demands and the ideology and the dogma of a group or a philosophy or whatever, Suddenly, just absolutely, uh, you know, pale. Um, you, you, I mean, your needs actually pale in comparison to it because the doctrine is flawless. It's perfect. It's, it's, it's the only absolute form of truth. Whereas your experience and and your issues and your and your difficulties don't mean anything. You have to line up with them in order to receive any kind of 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 a. Uh, of, um, uh, legitimacy, any kind of, uh, of actual, uh, recognition. Uh, you, you, if you're going to be recognized, it's going to be because you complied with what the dogma wanted you to do. You're, you're providing a success story, uh, a, a case study that they're going to look back and say, oh, see, this, this is a truly whole-souled, true believer that we have here. And you're doing what you did with your, with your, uh, with the Bible study, uh, was something that you could only sustain so long. 
And mm-hmm. then when you, and then when you failed to keep up that, that high level, like you said, high, high commitment, as you call it, level of, of uh, participation, and you find your experience starting to break down, well, obviously it can't, it can't be, it can't be the, the doctrine's fault. It can't be the, the ideal. It's you. It's you're the one making the mistake. You're the one breaking it down. And that's what Lifton called uh, the, the concept of doctrine over a person. It's one of eight. You know, I could, we wouldn't have time to get into some of how much what we've been through. But to me, that jumps out. And I just we had to make a comment on it simply because you're, you're, you're just beautifully illustrating again just why I believe Xenos really is a cult. And, and, uh, you know, Marx made the same point and so have you. And, and so many others, and it's it's this very concept that I think really helps us see that uh, how dangerous the, the grip really is, and how uh, and how it became intolerable for you. Uh, what was the point in which you began to feel uh, it was uh, becoming too much, and you had to and you had to reconsider your involvement? Yeah, so I mean, for me, um, college was, and I'm sure it is for very many people, it was a really big step, and so. You know, I went in, I was in an honors engineering program at Ohio State freshman year, and it was very difficult. Um, yeah. It required a lot of commitment to, to the program, to studying, to doing the projects um, with with my classmates. Um, it's a hard thing to do. I mean, most of the people who were in that program were doing it full time, right? Right. Um, but I had essentially a secondary career on the side, and that was my 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 career or my my commitment to to Zenos and the church, and so, you know, it it was probably just nine months into my freshman year when I reached the point of complete burnout. Um, and you know, <laughs> I never, I never from within the church actually questioned the church itself. I did more questioning of the church in the years after I left and trying to understand what had happened to me. Um, because, you know, when I was in college, I still, I desperately wanted to follow God. And I knew that, you know, going to, to all the meetings, or at least I thought that going to all the meetings, that they they required of me um living in the ministry house serving the the girls who I was living with making sure that their needs were met you know I all of those things were important to me and I wanted to do them all but it got to the point where I physically could not um and you know I, what would happen is, you know, there's, there's one obvious thing that, that has to give in the Xenos mentality. And what had to give was, was my education. Mm. What had to give was engineering or school. My, my disciple had, had counseled me who, you know, my discipler whose name is, um, and maybe I'll just name a few of the people in my group because they're quite high up in the church now. So I was in sort of a, you know, flagship or high profile, uh, home church. There are many home churches that the college group, but the one that I was a part of, um, you know, when I was in Zenos as a college student was particularly high profile. It had a lot of these people who were recognized in the system as being very spiritual or, or, you know, very committed to God, very influential within the organization. And, and as it turns out, you know, a lot of those people have gone on today to hold very senior positions within the church. Okay. Um, 
so, you know, I was being, at the time I was discipled by a woman named Sarah Faust. Um, she was married to a man named Ben Faust, who is now a senior sphere leader uh, within the church. So he oversees, you know, numerous um, home church groups. Um, and both of Ben and Sarah were leaders in my, my home church in 2006 when I was in school. Um, you know, also leaders in my group were, uh, Paul Alexander and Becky Alexander, who, um, were, were married and Paul has gone on. I believe he does maybe, uh, counseling, individual home church counseling. Um, and he also hosts the, the Xenos Dwell podcast, uh, that exists now. It's called Dwell on These Things, which, you know, it's actually really interesting to listen to. You can see the same, you know, types of things I've been talking about being propagated in the church today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wasn't so, he on that NBC interview? Um, yeah, Paul was also Paul was also interviewed, although he wasn't speaking. My understanding is he wasn't speaking formally on behalf of the church. He was, you know, a part of the uh, NBC interview. Um, where he was giving a, a response or his view uh, on the church. Yeah, and, his perspective, yeah. Okay. And, and I watched that with great interest, and I, I've had some uh, interactions with, with Paul since that um, that didn't weren't very effective. But, um, yeah, I watched that with interest because there's so much that the church has come out and said, we don't we don't have any examples of abuse we we haven't seen it maybe there's you know things where people's feelings got hurt or or they had interpersonal conflict or maybe there's examples of you know immature leaders did a one-off bad thing that hurt someone and that shouldn't have happened but it's not that it's not a structural issue right, right. This is, but we, the, we have training courses and papers written about this so obviously uh, we're on top of it right <laughs> and, right and i I, I, you know, I, I struggle a lot to, to, you know, understand or, or come to a conclusion about what level of awareness actually exists within the senior leadership of the church in, in terms of, you know, the complaints and allegations of abuse um, that are circulating now. Um, however, I do know that these individuals, some of them, whom, including Paul, has responded publicly to these accusations. He was a leader in my home church while all of this was happening to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that doesn't necessarily make him, you know, aware or directly culpable or anything like that. But it, 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 to me, I look at it and say, you have an obligation to understand what's going on mm-hmm. here, understand the damage yeah. that you're And Paul really, in recalling the full interview that was that's on the NBC uh, News website, by the way, you you can see the whole thing. It's still up there, I believe. Uh, And watching him, you could you can see uh, you you can see he's talking all around and up to the problem, to the to to really just admitting that there's an issue. Uh, he, He he all all but you know all but it admits that 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 there are. You know, there are larger issues here involved. There's actually a systemic form of, 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 of this abuse going on that, that they're, they're, not, they're just not willing to talk about, go any further about. Since he obviously wasn't speaking for, <laughs> for Dwell, but it's there. And, and when, when we directly spoke with Kate and, uh, and, and, um, and, Conrad. Uh, and Conrad, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Kate and Conrad directly about that, uh, 
they were completely tone deaf, as you, as you point out, to what we were saying. And, 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 and why do you think that is? Even, even now, uh, are, are we maybe early on in the process of making people accountable? But, but why is it that, that we could talk to them or speak with them and listen to tell them we had 20 people who were, who, who, uh, were abused and, and were, uh, expelled or walked away from, from dwell slash Xenos, uh, because of all these issues from all different walks of life who didn't hardly even know each other uh, until we brought them together for a meeting together where, where we interviewed some of them. Uh, why is it all, you can listen to all this and tell me that, that, that they're still isolated. Why, why do you think that, that, that there's this, this, like you, like you mentioned, it's this emotional distance. I mean, there was absolutely no, Nothing, no connection, no, no, no compassion, no connection, no desire to really understand. It, it, it just, just this flat tone of denial. Uh, why do you think it's like that in, in Xenos right now? In the leadership, in the leadership anyway. Yeah, I think, you know, it's the million dollar question to be sure. Um, and I think, you know, I'd first just start by saying that Every individual within that group is is unique and has their own personality, motivations, nuance, and in, in the way they think about the organization. I think there's probably a lot of ways that people uh, within the group reconcile uh, to themselves what has happened and what these allegations of abuse mean, and and that sort of thing. So I don't think that there's just one answer. Right. I do think that there are structural issues that make it easier to look away from um, or deny that it, it truly is abuse or in the worst case say, well, maybe it was abuse by some cultural standard, but it, it's an acceptable law because it's doing the work of God and, and saving souls, right? So yeah. people, people deal with it at different levels. I, I think the, the primary reason that you see, I, I think you're right when you talk about Conrad and, and Kate, the interview you did, you see an astounding tone deafness, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to even write about this, understand it, speak out about it, because I think that that's something I've been trying to reconcile to myself for the past 20 years is, you know, I've been in this organization and, and I, I can empathize and, and understand the logic and the indoctrination and, you know, the closed perspective and all of these things. And then you see it from the outside and to recognize, wow, I was abused in a system of vast authoritarian scope that, that touched me at a, a very intimate level as a human being yeah. when I was much too young, when I was still a child. Right. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, when I answer that question, I think about it in a couple ways. And I, I think the first thing to point out is that the church itself is so insulated from the outside world. The only real touch points and interaction that the church has with the outside world is through the, the laser focus of evangelism. So they want to convert people into the organization. A lot of people do not maintain friendships or relationships outside of the church with people of different faiths, people who go to different churches even, uh, people who don't believe in God. They're, those people are not uh, worthwhile targets for evangelism. Um, and so for the same reason, 
you know, the church doesn't maintain relationships with people who have left or been kicked out or asked to leave. And so that is your group of abused people. And the church uh, has turned their eyes and ears and, and, and face away from that abuse. They can't see it. They don't understand it. They've hardly even heard the stories. Um, and so they're not, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I mean, I think even in the past couple of years, this is the first time, you know, a lot of the church has even um, had to reckon with this on a real public level in terms of the attention. Because when I left the group um, in 2006 and when my friends um, who were right there alongside me through high school and college also left the group and we each suffered with our own deep traumas from the organization, but we suffered in isolation. We didn't understand what happened to us. I was ashamed and embarrassed that I had failed God, you know. I, I didn't think that they had done anything wrong to me. I thought I had failed, right? And so we didn't speak out. You know, they haven't heard from me for 16 years, for the most part. Um, and so they don't, they fundamentally, they don't see that pain. They don't walk alongside it. They don't understand it. You, you, Raphael, your team does the work of picking up the pieces and walking alongside the people who have been damaged this way. So you understand it. But they don't understand it. They don't even know it exists. They are insulated from it entirely. Yeah. And so I think that that is, is the first piece of an incredibly complicated puzzle of cognitive dissonance and, and indoctrination and, you know, all of this that goes into it. I, I don't think that the people within, you know, Xenos dwell, for the most part, I think many of them are, are well-intentioned. They want to follow God. and, yeah, and Totally. They want I, to I, I truly believe that. I've never stopped. I, I'm either cry the system is evil. I'm either cry some of what they do is evil. And I think that some level there is evil. But there, like you said, there's 90 percent of the people there are good, are there for the right reasons. They're just held by an evil system that's wrong. Right, and that's why you know I say too. It's like I was going through all of this and struggling. I mean, I when I'm struggling in college with how do I balance my work commitments and and my school commitments and my church commitments? How do I balance all this and how do I get that balance right? Xenos only had one black and white answer for me. It was you focus on church and that's it. Everything else has to give. Everything else has to go. And so I to change my major or to drop classes or to get lower grades or to stop trying so hard. I was, you know, for me, it was painted as school is an idol for you. You idolize it and therefore you have to give it up. I mean, they will find anything that you love or value or enjoy or, and they will drive you um, to submitting to God and expelling that peace in your life in service of the church or in service of the group. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so I think, you know, the, the second piece of that puzzle is even how busy they keep people. Um, right. I've had, I've even had conversations with a, a good friend of mine who, you know, came around with our group of friends and school and high school and he's still in the church and I've had conversations with him over the past month or so 
you know, saying, you know, if you want to talk about this, I'm open to talking about the perspective. If you're confused on, you know, where all these people are coming from, here's a paper that I wrote. And, you know, I, I get in response, yes, yes, I, I'd love to know about it and I'll get to it when I have time. But the problem is the system is so intensive with all the other cares of life that you never have time. Right. You're kept so busy all the time, right? And so I think that's a, a, a second piece of the puzzle of, of why people can't see it um, from within the church. Mm-hmm. I think the third piece, especially at the high levels of leadership, I think there's a huge level of cognitive dissonance where, you know, these people have dedicated their entire lives to this system a belief, and I have a lot of empathy for them. I mean, if it weren't for almost sheer happenstance um, of, of what happened when I was in college, I might still be in this church. I might be on the other side of the table, and the person that that you're questioning, um, mm-hmm. you know, alongside Conrad and Kate. And so right. I have a lot of I have a lot of empathy for that that position and the inability to see it. And and you know, I think a lot of that is that insulated culture and the cognitive dissonance that says we think we know the absolute truth, the capital T truth of what God asked us to do. And we're pursuing that and we're following it to a T and therefore there cannot be abuse. Right. Right. Um, They answered the question, you know, before it was even asked. There's Um, there's a terminal devotion to that ideal. Right, exactly. We're following God. We're doing what's right and what's important in in life and what God asked us to do. That intrinsically means that this was not abuse. And so even if they can come alongside some of the people who have been really hurt by the organization, they may say, well, that was bad leadership or that was a message that she said situation. We'll dismiss it and trivialize it in any way, but they cannot see it as systemic in the organization. that would upend the whole endeavor, right? Uh, it would, you know, topple an entire system that you devote. Oh, yeah. There's, there's, and there's too much at stake. There's right. way too much at stake. I mean, if, if you admit you're wrong to this degree, uh, the crushing moral weight would be, I think, more than most people could bear. And, and frankly, it would open up all kinds of legal and personal and, and, uh, and, uh, financial and social, uh, consequences that, that an organization like Xenos couldn't, couldn't weather. They've done a lot of weathering over 50 years of, 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 the, of and a lot of damage control, but this would be one fatal blow. This would be the, this would be the iceberg for their Titanic that, that they simply could not, could not do by, by, and that would be by answering, by actually becoming vulnerable and doing the right thing and actually understanding that, hey, maybe they, maybe a little humility might help in understanding that, that they really could be wrong at some point. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think it's it's difficult, and it, it, it's important to understand that. That's where you know I I would like that I can speak with some sort of empathy for the organization itself, despite how I can see the terrible and cruel effects that it's had in people's lives. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's this complicated idea of saying that I was yeah. both abused uh, by this organization and I was also an abuser. Right. I mean, you you talked to uh, my good girlfriend, Jessica, on one of your previous podcasts. And, you know, she had her own. We were very good friends in high school and early college. And she had her own 
sort of conflicts and, and, and exit from the church and things that she struggled with that, you know, she struggled with largely in isolation. And even though we were very good friends, you know, there was this idea that she was walking away from God. She was sinful. She was almost dangerous. Like if you hung out with her, she might pull you down into the satanic world of her own sin and mess and rebellion. Right. And so, you know, I, uh, you know, as a member of the church still believed in and upheld that position. I still loved her, but I wouldn't, you know, go hang out with her because, you know, it could be too dangerous and she might lead me away into her satanic mess. And, you know, that's the sort of ideology that that is so dangerous that when I take a step back now as an adult, what I see is that, you know, between my three friends who are very involved in that church and who are deeply traumatized by it, um, you know, I look and we all suffered alone and in isolation, even though we had been best friends within the church, we, we suffered on our own. And it took mm-hmm. years for us to share our stories with one another about what we had experienced. Um, it, you'd think it'd be natural that we just get out of the church and run to the people who had already left, but there's so much deep shame and trauma and embarrassment right. that we didn't, and there were no websites, there were no blogs, there was no, no people right. talking. We, we were all just alone and, and muddling through it. Um, and so, you know, I, I can with confidence say that I, I've, I've been on both sides of that. Um, I have both been the abused and been the abuser. And I think that that is a, it's that type of nuance that, that the church cannot acknowledge and and has difficulty seeing that's part of that black and white idealistic mentality that it holds these things understand this type of abuse this type of systemic problem within an organization you have to understand the deep motivations of individuals you have to understand the nuance of of people and how they relate to one another and how they're affected at different levels of, of their life right um and the the that's not what they do well in this group, right? They do black and white, right and wrong. You know, here's the answer. That's not the answer. And so you're not a part of the group anymore, right? And so I think all of that plays into the complicated nature that that both creates this type of abuse and prevents them from seeing it. And, And you know as well as I do that there is a stream of people flowing out of that organization on a daily basis that has been deeply traumatized and that I can speak to it 16 years later, that trauma's not gone. Um, it mm-hmm. affects, touches every area of my life. Yeah. I mean, my good, my good friends today joke that they too have been, you know, traumatized by Xenos Well by default, just by, right. you know, all they've spent listening to me talk about it and helping yeah. me understand. And what, right. what, what I've learned over the years, you know, in, in, in counseling people and listening to people tell their stories, uh, like I said, I'm not, I'm not a therapist. I'm a pastoral counselor, but I do provide opening ears, as all pastors do, to people who are troubled. And that's what I've done. And, 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 and listening to people coming out of groups like, like Xenos, <clears throat> excuse me, listening to that, I learned, you know, I learned pretty much the same thing that, that people, sometimes leave and then suffer in silence for years and never ever deal with it. I mean, and, and, and it's partly because of that, that factor, you know, that they don't know that there's a, that there's any other way to live other than that. They, they, they just left 
terminally suffering in this in this horrible cesspool of pain and, and then at the same time they 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 they, they never I, i've learned at the same time i have learned in talking to them is that um that a lot of people uh don't want to deal with it they just would rather move beyond and pretend it never happened that uh, people in pain no one has the same reaction. I mean, I mean, physical pain's one thing. Everyone understands. Hey, you, you hit your thumb, ow. You know, yeah, you you, you stop hitting your thumb, okay? <laughs> so, but in, when you get spiritually impacted by one thing, different people do different things. They handle the internal pain, the cognitive dissonance, the abuse, the shame, the guilting. Um, uh, they handle it differently, you know. Um, it, 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 again, it's, it's far more, it's far more impacting than even the horrible crime of rape. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's such an unbelievably, uh, you know, it, um, intimate, uh, invasion of privacy where, where, where everything, well, everything personal, everything private you want to hold is completely ripped away and, and publicly exposed. It's it's hung out the dry. And, and to take that back and deal with the consequences of, of you personally, even years later, most people just want to cover over the nice thick piece of skin and a lot of people don't do well with that. You know. They yeah. they don't, don't they don't do well with that. They struggle, they and they suffer. You know, they some people sadly, you know, resort to suicide. Resort to drug abuse, resort to endless relationships or, 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 or steam and rage and, and anger, you know, um, all kinds of stuff like that, you know, so it's, 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 it's very sad that a, an organization set out to advance, uh, the Christian faith as the abundant life does, does just the opposite. It, it creates so much abundant death. That's, mm-hmm. that's the tragic thing of that. So, well, uh, we, we try to keep these podcasts by an hour. Uh, we're going a little over that, and that's fine. Uh, but in, in closing, um, uh, we, we do want to, I guess I, I want to give you a little more time here with this, but in closing, uh, toward, uh, toward that thought, uh, what would you say to people who are maybe on the fence right now listening? What would you say to, Z- let's say you actually had uh, Dennis McCallum and others, uh, Conrad and, and, and others listening in, uh, right now. Who, what would you say to them? What, what would you, what would you want to say? Maybe there are friends and people you know that may, may still be there, uh, may not be, but what would you say to people who are, who are on the fence, who are at different levels of, of involvement in their life, but, but are all still in some way, shape or form bewitched? by the Xenos vision, by the whole thing. What would you say to them right now if, if you had a chance? And then and maybe there's something you, you, you might want to uh, want to close with on that and, and just kind of letting us know how you feel about that. What would you say to them? Yeah, it's so difficult. I mean, I, know. I, I, think, what I, I think what I would say is that, you know, I understand. I've stood on both sides of the fence. Um but, but what I do believe is that I, I do believe that the stream of people who are telling these stories, though they may struggle to articulate them in a way that is clear to those who heard that these people have been deeply wounded by the systemic structure of the organization, I do, in fact, believe that that's the case. And I believe that, that you know, these folks have been deeply abused used in a spiritual sense that is is the most fundamental personal and private area of anyone's life and that that is deeply destructive 
And often that does not come with any physical evidence. It may not even come with a fancy story that sounds dramatic or, or, or terrible to the outside world. And, and that's what really leads to the suffering of these individuals. Um, that is so difficult is because they have very little to point to, to say, this was deeply destructive to me as a human being, deeply destructive to my soul. They don't have a scar. They don't have, you know, a, a intense story about how people wronged them because it's the system that it's the system itself that caused this, this abuse and damage. And it's propagated by the individuals within the group who cannot see it. Right. And so, you know, to the people who are still in the church, I would say, you know, I think a, a lot of them, like I did, they want to follow God and they want to care for people and love people in real ways. And I would say, well, you have to sit with the idea that, that, this stream of people has been deeply traumatized by this organization. And how is that consistent with the love of God? Yeah. How did we misunderstand, you know, the, the care and the protection and the sacredness of the space that, that the church is working in. If you want to play in the sacred spiritual dimension of human beings lives, that's a special place that, that you need to behave carefully in. And I think a lot of the structures of the church have overstepped that bound and have really failed to recognize how formative the the area is that they're playing in. They've they've missed the forest for the trees. Um, And I think that's just something that those in the church really need to sit with. Everything I've I've written and, and thought about this this issue is written with a hope and a belief that people can see and know that within yeah. the church and that they can make actual changes. I think even at the very senior levels, I think it's hard, it's difficult, but it's time for a reckoning. Um, you know, my intention in, in speaking out on all of this is, is not to get any personal vindication for myself. I, you know, I, it is what it is and I've dealt with what happened to me, uh, and I am the person I am now because of it. Um, you know, the reason why I think it's important to talk about this is because people are still being wounded the way I was wounded 20 years ago. And that's, it's terrible. I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. And it's, it, it affects people for a lifetime. And so people need to take that seriously and really think about it. Right. Um, I guess just to, to end, um, there's a, a Bible verse I, I just wanted to read and share that I think is, is, is perfect to speak to, to the issues within the church. And so perhaps I'll just read it to you. Go ahead. It's Ezekiel 34, 4 says, you have not strengthened the weak. You mm-hmm. have not sick. You have not bound up the injured, you have not brought back the strayed, you have not sought the lost, but with force and harshness you have ruled them. And I think that's, you know, that's the position that, that Xenos really needs to look into. Mm-hmm. You know, have you answered this call from God and have you done it as an organization? Because yeah. it would mean that, that the opposite is perhaps the case. Right. And the tragic you know, the, the such, the, the piteous part of, of all of this that I personally see, I mean, and, and you reading that verse makes, just spins me back to, you know, 30 years ago, uh, when I was, when I was, when I was called into ministry and I mean, I mean, not 30 years ago, longer than 40 years ago, uh, when that very verse 
Ezekiel 34 jumped off the page as I was reading it when I was a very young Christian, just got out of the Navy, fresh, all the sea salt still behind my ears. And that very verse jumped off the page and it spoke to me. And it, it made me understand that, that, that there really was in the land a group of people who would pose themselves uh, as as the height of spiritual perfection, as 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 the great moral repositors of the nation of Israel, who you would then be so bad, <laughs> lead so horribly, and that makes it all. I think that gives the, the, the greatest context. I appreciate you picking that because that's the very <laughs> the very chapter I, I cited high, heavily in one of the Zenos articles there. Is that that the, that that very verse in Ezekiel 34 is is really I think where the rubber meets the road and it really does give the classical biblical perspective on what spiritual and religious abuse are and what God's view is on it. God does care. God does ma- it does matter to Him what people do in secret places in His name. It matters on the on the most deepest way because He brings it out. He He shouts it from the rooftops. And uh, to those who are in leadership, to those who are elite, who are followers, who who have been part of a system that's 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 just turning people into spiritual hamburger. I mean, it's it's time for you to understand that that uh, you know a judgment is coming, and whether it's in this world or the next, one is coming. And I would hate to be the one that hears from that 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 goes before. Christ at the, at the judgment seat and say, oh, did I not uh, create a megachurch for you? Did I not create all kinds of great uh, spiritual structures for you? Did we, did we not get thousands of people in and out of our summer institutes and Jesus looked down at you and say, I never knew you. Get away from me, you workers of iniquity. That's not something I will want to wish on anybody. But, and, and, and to your point, I that's exactly what we're trying to to avoid, we're trying to hopefully, as we said, not try to burn down the church, but to call it to open its eyes and see what it needs to be doing, and then it's no longer in living in denial, but actually taking to heart what is being told by its own brothers and sisters. And I thank you so much uh, for for bringing that up there, and and for and for that uh, that wonderful close, um, Katie. It's it's been a, it's been a delight to have you on, and uh, we are hoping to have you on again. Real soon in a special project that uh, we're we're working on right now, and I really once again appreciate all of you if you've been able to share with us here today, and thank you, and uh, look forward to seeing you again sometime. Yeah, thank you so much, Raphael. I really appreciate the work that your group is doing. Thank you, and we appreciate what what. Uh, let me see, I got the, got the URL right. Dwell Community Church is a cult dot com is doing. Yeah. Dwell Church. Columbus is a cult. Okay. Community. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to get that yet. I'm going to get that straight. It's a, it's a little, but you have to do what you have to do to get it out there. And I appreciate that. Thank you so much again. And, and we'll look forward to, we're going to have that URL. I have your address up on our, in our, in our, uh, our website links and stuff like that. We'll get that there pretty soon. But thank you once again for so, yeah. for sharing so much. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going? prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened and if necessary challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. 
You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.